0: Welcome to Near Death Experience podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of *Life in the Spirit World*: What Near Death Experiences May Teach Us About Life on the Other Side. Uh, before we get started today, I want to give a little bit of a heads up. I'm not exactly sure what the next few weeks will bring. Um, full disclosure. Um, The uh, coronavirus lockdown has caused the company that hires my employer to go out of business, which means I am now out of a job. And things being as they are, it's hard to know where exactly I will be in a month. And if I end up working a full-time job, there is a good chance that I will not have time to do the Near Death Experience podcast for a while. Um, So I just wanted to give that as a heads up. Um, Again, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm trying to look into other options, um, something that will allow me the time necessary to be able to um, continue this effort. But I just don't know right now. So. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay, let's start with the experience of Barbara from endurf.org. Barbara says, I was at my friend's going away birthday party and she had a pool, so it was a pool party. So we were doing this game underwater to see who could hold their breath the longest. Well, I can hold my breath for about 50 seconds. So I went first. I dived into the pool The pool sweeper was down there, and I had a lot of time left, so I tried to bring the pool sweeper up out of the pool. But the cord was stuck on the drain, and I couldn't get loose. When my friends, Shelby and Lizzie, dived in to see if I was okay, well, me and Lindsay show no sign language, so I signed to her, help. So they found out, and they tried to help me. I was running out of air and then passed out, and then everything turned black. When I woke up, I was out of the pool, and everyone was jumping in the pool. When they came out, Shelby and Lizzie were holding my body. At this point, I was freaking out. Then Shelby put her ear next to my mouth and said, She's not breathing. And Sarah, the birthday girl, started to cry. So Lizzie said, Go call 911. Sarah went into the house and came back into the backyard and said, "'The phone is dead!' Lizzie said, "'Go next door!' Then Shelby and Lizzie started CPR. Then I turned around and saw this very, very bright light. And then I was in what seemed like a tunnel, but it was a white, white, white color. After all this happened, I looked in paint stores and couldn't find it anywhere anywhere. It was a white color. Well, I'm going up this thing, and my whole life flashed before my eyes. After that, boom, I was standing before a golden city. You see, I'm a Christian, and I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I know that he is real, because in the Bible, it states that heaven's streets are so pure gold that you can see through them, and you can But I can't say how beautiful it is in words. So I was waiting in line at first behind all these people. Then it was my turn. I was standing in front of this big guy who I think was an angel. He was holding this big book, and I think it was the Lamb's Book of Life. Because if you let Jesus come into your life by asking him, your name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And nothing and nobody can take it out. So the angel guy asked me for my name, and I told him. When he looked for it, he said, I'm sorry, but it's not your time. That got me mad. I said to him, Why is it not my time? I'm ready to die. My life sucks. My best friend died three years ago. Why is it not my time? Then he turned around as if someone was talking to him and turned back around to me and again said, someone wants to talk to you. Then he pointed to the gate with the city behind it. Someone was standing there. At first I couldn't see who it was, but when I got close, I couldn't talk because it was Jake. You see, Jake, my best friend, died in a car accident five years ago. We were both seven years old then. When I saw him there, I ran to the gate as fast as I could When I got there, we both reached out, grabbed each other's hands, and cried. He looked my age, but I knew it was him. I feel stupid in saying this, but he got cute since I last saw him. When we talked for a while about things that happened, about each other, and then the angel said, it's time for you to go back. So I turned to Jake and said, bye, Jake. Jake said, see you soon. I hope so, I said. So I went back down the tunnel and watched Jake get smaller and smaller as I went down. Then I was back on earth, Shelby and Lizzie still doing CPR. But then Sarah came back to the backyard and said, nobody's home. We looked on the whole street and nobody was home. How is that possible? Lizzie asked. I don't know, Sarah said. Then out of nowhere, these two paramedics came to the backyard with a defibrillator and and a breathing mask and took over. Sarah was asking them, who are you guys? They did not answer. They were just doing CPR and did not say a word the whole time. Then they shocked me with the defibrillator, 18 times by my count. Then they did it again, but this time I felt it, and it did not feel good. It feels like when you prick yourself with a needle, but all over your body. Then they did it again. Then one more time, then I started breathing again. I was spitting out water. I couldn't breathe. I was just scared. Then Sarah said that right after I started breathing, the paramedics took off. She went after them. She said that she was so close that she could have grabbed their shirt, so close to the door behind them. But since Sarah was that close, she opened the door right after that, but they were gone. She looked everywhere, but she could not find them. So we got together to talk about it, and we all guessed the paramedics were angels. And we didn't think anyone would believe us, so we all agreed not to tell anyone but I won't forget that day. And I don't think the others will either. That is the end of Barbara's experience. And I have to say, that's a really fun wording of the uh, experience. She's clearly a teenager at the time she's having her experience because of some of her comments about what's going on. She's at this pool party. You know, again, she said, from what she said, she's about 14 years old, give or take. And, um, She's at a pool party, gets caught under the pool, and um, they, you know, by the time they get her out, she's not breathing and so forth, and uh, she talks about, first off, a super duper bright light, and it was a white that was so, she keeps saying it was a white color, a white color, several times she mentions white color, which As I gather, you know, most people don't think of white as a color, but as the, uh, as either being no color or all colors, whatever. But, um, I gather from that, that she's experiencing white as more than just brightness. She's experienced white, experiencing white as a beautiful color. And that's kind of interesting. I, I'm not sure exactly how to picture that how to uh, quantify that but it's it's kind of interesting then she describes a golden city and which confirms her uh christian biblical beliefs of of a city of pure gold or its, it's uh, streets of heaven being paved with gold um and this gold golden city is one that comes up in a lot of near death experiences which is kind of interesting i as a personal Christian myself, I've always, previous to near-death experiences, figured that the streets of gold described were symbolic in some way. Um, that there wasn't, they weren't actually gold, but that um, the quality of them, the feeling of them, was maybe you know uh, similar to the feeling you would get if you saw pure gold. But but she's seeing gold, a golden city. It, it, that. Uh, They were so gold, so pure gold that you could see through them, is the way she described it. Now, that may describe less about the gold and more about her eyes, spiritual eyes, but uh, either way, it's very interesting. Then she describes this big guy, and I don't know if by big she means, you know, muscular or big, as in, you know, 20 feet tall or what, I I don't know, she's not very clear, but, but uh Describes this big guy and, uh, and then a big book and, and so forth. But then as she's arguing with this angel about whether she should go back, her friend Jake, who had died five years earlier, approached her and they had a little reunion. Now they'd been best friends when they were seven and they hadn't seen each other for about seven years, if I remember right and uh so she is now a teenager and he's looking like a teenager also and she's finding him rather cute you know which you know they've been kids before she hadn't seen that side of him before but now he was older and she was older and and he was kind of nice looking which which is part of why i think this is a a fun experience you know a teenager's near-death experience you know the girl is noticing the cute boy and, and so forth that's fun. And it also um, reiterates what we've seen in several experiences is that that spiritual attraction, I mean, sorry, the physical attraction continues in the spirit world, at least for many people, it seems to. There are some who describe um, other beings as being non-gendered, but uh, I suspect, based on all these experiences, that all of them have gender, but that they are either so flooded with light and love that it drowns out the uh, gender differences. And a lot of the uh, things that we put on gender here on, on this earth are so, I mean, political, so based in our traditions and upbringing that that we lose a lot of the individual in their gender, if you will. Not to say that gender is not an important thing. I think it's very important, and I think it's it's part of us. But um, I don't think it has the same uh, politics behind it, the same traditions behind it on the other side. We see each other as beautiful, eternal beings. And so saying that somebody is without a gender is this probably a sensible description in comparison to what we have here. And yet, here we have Barbara noticing Jake, and he's a cute boy now. So I, I think that's kind of fun. Okay, so she goes back and uh, to her body, gets shocked by this defibrillator several times, and it hurts like the dickens. And then she she and her friends are, you know, confused because these uh, these paramedics that just show up with a defibrillator up and leave, and they're gone. And they are thinking, were those actually angels? And I love that uh, question. And, you know, it's one I can't answer for myself. Certainly they were sent by God, but were they humans sent by God, or were they, you know maybe some kind of resurrected angelic beings that were sent by God, or were they actual paramedics and, and, you know, came, did their job and left. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's not the kind of thing that a medical professional would necessarily do. They'd show up, do the work, communicate with people, saying stay back and just keep, you know, whatever and then they would rush them to a hospital or they would stand around while an ambulance arrived or while their parents arrived, something like that. But they wouldn't just vanish after the uh, danger was gone. But these friends are like, well, it's taken care of. Let's let's not tell anybody about this. This will be our own little secret, probably worried about getting in trouble for, you know, drowning in a pool and, you know, I, I don't know, but... Uh, 14-year-old way of thinking, I guess, but, uh, but kind of an interesting little exchange there. Anyway, let's share another one. This one's a little shorter. This is, and I hope I'm not botching up this name, but it's a man named Udon or Udon or something. U-D-O-N. Udon. I had lost a lot of blood from liver failure and had to be rushed from Laos to Thailand in an ambulance, and by the time I arrived at the hospital, I was in a very bad way. I was put in the intensive care unit and they started blood transfusion, but I was losing too much blood. I was conscious, but in extreme pain and tried to doze off, or tried to doze on and off while they kept putting tubes in and out of me, doing tests, etc. This went on through the night and much more blood was flown from Bangkok the next morning. I remember the doctor saying that a specialist was going to use a scope that they would enter into my stomach. This would be uncomfortable and hurt, but they needed to stop the bleeding as I was fading very fast. I was already in extreme pain like I had never experienced before, and it seemed that every hair and atom of my body just screamed with pain. I remember being rolled onto my side so they could place the tube into my mouth, and then I blacked out. All of a sudden, there was no pain, and I remember distinctly a humming noise like the sound of a very powerful electrical current that was the most beautiful sound I had ever heard, It is so hard to explain, but it's like a hum, but as if the most perfect orchestra in the world played it. You probably won't understand that part, but it was very distinctive. The next thing I remember was seeing, or was seeming to become part of everything, but moving with huge fluorescent light structures that formed waves and were perfect in size and movement. And the light was perfect for some reason everything seemed to all of a sudden make sense the world myself everything was answered in an instant and it seemed i knew everything there were no beings but energy like myself that was part of everything there was no coolness heat wind or anything just perfect fluorescent lights that controlled all the structure and gently everything moved in waves. I then just remember coming back and the doctor and everything and everyone was standing around over me panicking and the pain starting to come back again. That is the end of Udon's experience. Very interesting and I have to say I'm biased towards sound and music experiences and so this is one I, I found very interesting describing this humming noise. Some people have described buzzing noise, uh, uh, a chime sound, different things like that. Kind of like a, a chime that when you strike it and then just that sound that goes on and on. That seems to be the sound they're hearing. And yet this is described as so beautiful, the most beautiful sound that he had ever heard. And it was like it was being played by the perfect orchestra in the world. Interesting. And then there's these moving fluorescent light structures that formed waves that were perfect in size and movement. And the light was perfect. Then the sense of blending with everything and everything makes sense. This really sounds like the description of when a person is in the intelligent consciousness form in the light, in the source, if you will. That sounds like um, that description as I understand it. And just for kicks, let's go one more experience. This is Sue. Sue says, I was driving home from work, alone in my car. I had come to a place near the water that I love. I remember thinking that it was a beautiful place to be. I was then in outer space and could see, not with my eyes, but with another sense, the stars and all the heavenly bodies forming and stretching across the sky from the beginning of time to eternity very quickly. At the same time, I was aware of all things from the smallest organism to the biggest happenings of outer space. I had a knowing of everything and anything. Above my head and to my right, a bright light, not blinding, but brighter than any light I have known, flowed quickly towards and over me, engulfing me, and all the other souls in the universe and down on earth, which I was fully aware of entirely. Simultaneously, the light was also this complete love. It was a type of love that cannot be described as it is not like anything I have ever known. The love came with the light. It was received and given at the same time. It spread from what I instantly knew was God to encompass everything in the universe and beyond. The love was like bliss and so complete that there was no room for anything else. No room for evil. I had a strong message. No words were spoken that what I was doing was the right thing to do and that I didn't need to do anything other than what I did. During the experience, I had no sensation of body at all. I felt one with the universe. Next, I was back in my body and still driving my car at the same spot that I had been before the experience began. The experience seemed like it could have lasted about 10 minutes, but there was no sense of time, really. I have felt that I was shown more than I can remember. Also, I feel that where I was, was home, and that I am only visiting Earth for a purpose. I feel that I know the purpose, but that I just cannot remember it. Since this experience, I have no interest in earthly possessions, I'm not afraid to die. I love everyone and do not know how to hate. Forgiveness is easy and rightness is a must. Peace in the world is possible if only everyone could have similar experience to this kind of love. No words can describe it. I find I cannot explain it to my friends and family. Each person must have the experience themselves. That is the end of Sue's experience. And wouldn't it be nice if we could have that experience on command? But anyway, you'll notice a common element between these last two experiences of this being in all encompassing light and love and kind of somehow knowing everything and anything and, you know, being somehow one with everything and so forth, this oneness in the source and so forth. Um, it seems to be a common thing in near-death experiences, and which tells me that on the other side, we have access to that. I am very curious to find out someday how much choice we have in the matter of, you know, maybe we're walking around through a golden city and be like, you know what, I'd like to go visit the source, and then just boink, and you go, or is it the kind of thing that You have to be invited into the source or is it some kind of transitional thing to, you know, go to the source on the way to your destination or or the other way around or whatever, you know, and I'm under the impression that there's not a particular order that has to be in place, you know, that first you'll go to, you know, dark space then you go to light and then you go to, you know, a city or or, you know, landscape or whatever. I don't know that there is a set rule about that. There there very much doesn't seem to be. But uh, the visiting of these different kinds of experiences on the other side happens so regularly that it's, it's very clear that that is what home is like for us as spirits. Home is all-encompassing light. It is beautiful landscapes. It's color beyond anything we can describe here it's it's all those things and loved ones that we both family and friends are there on the other side very interesting experiences and in case the uh, background sounds are bugging you I apologize my my son uh, found took some wood from our wood outside and is making a his own you know summer project up there and I didn't want to discourage that. So (laughs) I'm just letting it go on in the background. But uh, anyway, uh, very interesting stuff. Very interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear if you have your own experience. You can email me at chaz at ndepodcast.org. You can also, if you have an experience of your own and would like to be interviewed, uh, John uh, does fabulous interviews. You can email him. John at NDE Podcast.org. You can also support the podcast by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash NDE podcast to become an ongoing monthly contributor. And once again, thank you all of you for listening.